We've been looking at the book of Ephesians. And this morning we are going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, 17, uh, down to, think about verse 20 today. I'm going to read all the way to 24. Good morning, Pat. So let's read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 down to 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed to every greedy to every practice, every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirits of your mind, the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Good morning, Mom and Dad. Good morning, Ray. So, you know, Paul has been talking about all these different things, the, the marks of maturity, right? The humility, the gentleness, the patience, the uh, uh, bearing with one another. And now he's turned to this idea of how these things all help create in us to seek unity. Good morning, Robert. Um, to seek unity and, and to drive after unity. You know, unity requires victory over the sinful nature. We will never have a unified church, universal. A unified church is the body of Christ until we begin to find victory over the sinful nature. Paul presents some bold and vivid contrasts in this section about our old life the old life in the way of sin to our new life in the way of salvation. He describes the character and conduct of the old way in verse 17 to 19 that we just read. And, and so in Ephesians 4, 17 to 19, he's talking about the, the conduct of the old way. And so some of those different things, if we look at it and just kind of piece out maybe four items of what he describes the old way. The old way, the stuff where who we were before Christ, right? That who you once were, not who you are in Christ, okay? So he's talking about the old manner of life and sin and death that Paul's talked about here. The old way is the way of idolatry. That's one of the first things that he says here. Darkened by the understanding alienated from the life of God. There's this idea of putting things above the message of Christ and him crucified, things uh, above the, the message of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul always said, I am here to preach Christ and him crucified. And then he had other things. It's kind of like John Wesley said, I am a man of one book, but yet he was one of the most educated individuals because he read so much. But yet his point was, there's one thing that matters and that's Christ. And so in the old way, we, we have this old way of idolatry in our lives. It's a, the futility of our minds. In Romans 1, Paul calls this vain reasoning. 
that vain reasoning, that that's the grossest uh, amount of idolatry. It's the grossest form of idolatry is vainness of mind, thinking more of ourselves than we ought. Putting other things above Christ, putting our own pride and egos and things above Christ. That it's emptiness. The, the futility, futility means it's empty. It has no meaning. It's meaningless. It's empty. As in our old way of sin, we are we're classified by that. We're seen by that. Our old way of thinking controls us. It attributes in, in, intrinsic value to things that possess only instrumental value, right? It's the stuff. It, it's that, you know, dare I say, even sometimes the American dream. You know, that American dream is what leads to a prosperity gospel at times, if not careful, if not held in tension. That idea that, um, you know, to be successful, I, I need a BMW, I need a Rolex watch, and I need a house that's, you know, on five acres, and it needs to be over 3,000 square foot, and it needs to have a pond, and I need to have a boat, and I need to, and we find, we, we label things that are have no real long-term value, and we place intrinsic value on that as if that's going to make us happy, when the only thing that will make us happy is Christ. It, it confuses meaning with ends. And it begins to worship the means rather than the ends. Right? Our chief end of man is to praise and glorify God forever. And yet we worship creations. We worship our stuff. We put more value in a belief politically than we do in the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. Is it any wonder that the first commandment was on idolatry, right? You know, in the, the Ten Commandments, the uh, idolatry was one of the first. And how ironic is it still that the Jews, and especially Pharisees, right, they began to worship the law instead of worshiping the lawgiver. How easy is it for us to turn from worshiping the God on high that created all of creation and turn to worshiping the creation, right? We turn so quickly in this idolatry of our minds when we are overwhelmed in the old way of life that Paul is calling us out of. Idolatry can be worshiping uh, of of pleasure, of wealth, of luxury, of fame, of even sex, of, of and a host of so many other things that we put intrinsic in our lives and we put value to it that have no value. It's why in our culture, so I, I see sometimes these young individuals that are just, they've, they've got to get married. And I mean, if I'm 22 and I'm not married, then I, I'm an old spinterist. And, and they have this value that's been placed on human companionship that should be placed on God. And when they focus finally on a relationship with God, then they turn towards him. And then they are able to fully understand and realize what a Christ-centered, mission-driven, devil-kicking relationship looks like, right? 
because their value is placed on God who then redeems and restores a human relationship. God is the only legitimate object of our worship in life. Yet in the old self, we worship many other things through that futility of mind. The, the second thing Paul kind of talks about here about the old life as he's defining it is that our minds were darkened, that understanding was blurred, that we shut out the light of God through the idolatry. So through the sin in our lives, we're not able to understand fully because we have put boundaries around the Holy Spirit's work. When we don't understand, right? You know, I've said before, we ignore what we don't understand. And we put boundaries, strongholds in our hearts that don't allow for relationships, that don't allow for people to get in, that we trust less, that we, we see God as maybe how we saw our heavenly father or, or our earthly father, and or we see uh, you know the relationship with God as being purely a, a monetary one that, you know, well, um, Jeremiah 29, 11, for everything's good, right? He's good, All his plans are good, and so therefore, I'm going to have a Bentley. I'm going to have the big home. My marriage is going to be perfect, and I don't have to worry. Because there's a participation in that relationship that's expected. And when we don't have that participation in relationship, we falter through the idolatry and the things that we place above God. We place above God in our lives. The, the things that we do... And I preach to myself on this, right? The things that we do other than devotions every day. Do we go to the news sources first, to, to social media first, before we even open up God's word? When we find ourselves having watched every episode of our favorite series and still not done devotions in a week, binge watching Netflix and not spending any time binging the word of God, that can actually change us. And then we wonder why our minds are darkened, why the understanding doesn't seem to come, because we're not growing in the relationship with God. Third thing that he kind of mentions here is that we're divorced from the life of God because of the idolatry and the things that we place in front of our relationship with God. We do not see the fruits. We don't grow in humility. We don't grow in, in gentleness. We don't grow in those type of things, the fruits of the Spirit. How often I, I run into people who maybe have placed idolatry in this world on their leadership skills. And so they have no compassion for others who think different than them. And they run over them. They stab them in the back. They step on them to get to the next position, right? Or, or even in our walk in the church, how we don't see the humility that needs to come when teaching in a class or participating in a class. The humility of maybe you're beyond something, but somebody else may not be. You know, there but by the grace of God go I. Maybe you've never suffered from drugs and alcoholism, but you have from name your sin, right? And so we, we label sins and we divorce ourselves from the life of God when we 
place ego and pride into a relationship. And God is a source of life. And thus, without that source of life, they're dead, right? We talked about that in chapter 2. They're dead in sins and trespass because they are divorced from that life that grows out of Jesus Christ. That death issues from the ignorance of God on one hand and the hardening of their hearts on the other. And that's such an unusual term. It's so... When we think about that idea of hardening hearts and we go, have I done that? How do I do that? Is that God hardening hearts or is it us hardening our hearts? And how does that work in this whole idea? And, and really, as, as a holiness background, we believe in free will. We believe in the choices that we make, that they matter, that God proveniently reaches out to us, makes a way to redeem and reconcile us, but it's a free gift that must be received. It's a free gift that must, is offered and has to be received. We must respond to the call of Christ. And, and our hearts are hardened because we begin to grow insensitive to spiritual things. It's kind of like a leper. If you've ever studied anything about true leprosy and they begin to become insensitive they can't feel pain and so they lose feeling maybe in their feet and so they end up losing appendages because they have no feeling and they get a cut or something that that goes uh, goes deeper and, and has to be amputated that's kind of the same thing with diabetes right when that can happen in its severe forms we become insensitive to the spiritual things around us. And dare I say, church, if we are not careful, if we are not growing in Christ, can we not grow insensitive of the things of Christ? Can we not become so prone to the way I understand my story as a Midwestern white guy, how I understand my story that I become insensitive to the story of those who are different, whether that's Hispanic or Asian or, or black. It, it doesn't matter, even rich or poor, we become insensitive because I only know my story. We become insensitive to a non-believer because we don't understand their story. We haven't taken time to listen to them. You know, I, I uh, we, we lived in Baltimore area, and one of the, the favorite things out there, if you know, they have the Baltimore Ravens, and it's named after Edgar Allan Poe's book, The Raven. And, and uh, you know, as a... Um, good Christian kid rebelling, you know, one of my, one of my favorite authors back in as a teenager was reading Edgar Allan Poe, you know, cause he's everywhere. And, um, I and, and not all of his works were good. Right. I mean, a lot of them were kind of horror and, you know, you read them once and you're like, Oh, that's, that's kind of just weird. But Edgar Allan Poe in a couple of his works talks about kind of this idea of growing insensitive to, and now he used it more in a horror but this is kind of the idea of it. So first he has this, this story called William Wilson. And William Wilson begins to describe even Edgar Allan Poe's own journey into darkness, you know, which was demonic. Okay, I'll say that right now. And his journey that described the beginning and, and the beginning of the deceit that happened and the dishonesty that would, was allowed into his life. And that grew into a story that he called the Black Cat. And Black Cat recounts just that deadening effect to evil. He was insensitive to it. It, it. it didn't affect him anymore. In fact, he sought deeper and deeper, more heinous acts to even 
feel the evil, which then led to his story of the raven. And if you've ever heard the raven, the raven was kind of the ultimate end, and it was this idea of the signs of doom in a destroyed soul. Good morning, Carrie. And so he, even in his works, gave this picture of what it looks like to become insensitive to the spiritual things around us. Like Paul's talking that divorces us from the life of God. And then the fourth thing that he talks about with the, the old life in this passage of Ephesians 4 is this idea that, get, that they've given themselves up to sensuality. That they have gone so far divorcing themselves from the life of God that they give themselves up to sens sensuality or uncleanliness or greediness, right? Greed is a form of sensuality. Greed and always wanting the next big best thing is a form of sensuality. Willful rejection of truth that leads again to practicing idolatry which practicing idolatry begins to darken our minds, which then divorces us from God, which gives us over to sensuality. And it's this circular effect in the life of the old self before Christ. We become abandoned to, in the old life, to just sinful lusts, lusts of greed, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, lust of the pride, the heart, the mind, the arrogance, which are so anti-humility, gentleness, patience, right? It, it, it's the antithesis of that. But then there's the new life. You know, Paul doesn't leave us in the old life. He says, that's who you once were, so set it aside. Set aside the adultery. Set aside the lack of humility. Set aside the things that make you think you are better than anybody else. Because there but by the grace of God go you. And he turns in verse 20 to 24 that we read to this idea of the new life. The new way of life that we are called to in Christ. And the first, this new way, it embodies the very life and character of Christ. Right? The marks of Christianity we talked about. The humility, the gentleness, the patience, and the bearing with one another. It's not just a new moral or highway of thinking, right? It's not just we now have a new morals and we have a way that we think higher than others. It's, it's not just something like that that just changes us morally. We know some great moral non-believers. We follow after the very life of Jesus Christ. It's the faith and commitment to live in that very life of Christ, to put on his imputed righteousness, and to live out of that. It comes from the transforming power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not just the acceptance of his moral teachings, right? The, the, the demons believe and shudder, right? It's not just accepting that Jesus was a good teacher, that Jesus was a good moral, uh, uh, you know, like C.S. Lewis and others have put it, that he's either lunatic, liar, or he's Lord. And you have to decide. It's not just acceptance of the good teachings, the moral teachings. It's belief and faith in him and participating, allowing that participation of Christ into our lives that changes inwardly so that we're different outwardly. Wesley put it that uh, 
There is no holiness without social holiness. There's no justice without social justice. There's that idea that as Christ changes us, we want to speak up. We've talked about it on here for the sanctity of human life, which is not just the abortion issue. It's not just pro-life versus pro-choice. It's also pro-adoption. It's pro-foster care. It's supporting respite care for families that are adoption. It's for maybe advocating for adoption and foster care yourself. We talked about that another day. it's, It's also advocating for prison reform. It's advocating for racial reform. It's advocating for sanctity of life in aging. It's advocating for all life. But so often we can make it just one. It's the imitation. It's not imitation. It's participation in the life of Christ who calls us to stand up. It's not just learning about Christ, but to learn Christ. Do you catch that difference? It's easy to learn about Christ and just to learn about him, to to know all the Bible stories, right? Not that Bible stories are wrong in Sunday schools, you know. I I mean, you know, it's not too often we taught that Goliath, you know, David cut off Goliath's head, which I'll tell you if, if, I mean, like a uh, a second and third grade boy, if you had told me that, you would have had me. I mean, I loved my little old King James Bible because it had a picture of him holding the head. You know, it was awesome as a, as a young boy. But, you know, we don't always teach some of that. We don't teach the failures of David, per se, in Sunday school often. They're hard to explain. And, and so it's not just learning about Christ. It's as we grow and we learn Christ. We learn what it means to put on Christ and to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of Christ in our lives, to be taught by him uh, through the Holy Spirit, right? The second thing is a new believer, a new way, the new way of life. It involves rejection of the old ways, out and out rejection of the old sinful life and acceptance of the new by faith, right? Verse 22 to 24 puts it that way. That to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off and to put on. And that takes a conscious effort. It's a work done by the Holy Spirit in an instant but it's something that we have to participate in. We have to grow in to learn Christ, to put on, reject the old way and accept the new way. To put off the flesh and accept the spirit, right? It's to put off the life in Adam that brought sin to us, the innate sinful nature, and to put on and live in Christ who gives us a new way of living, a holy way, a heavenly way, right? So learn Christ in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We don't do it on our own, right? But it takes participation in, you know, a, a, a earthly example of that would be Moses. He put off the Egyptian royalty. He was not born into Egyptian royalty, but he was adopted into it. And he put that off for 
being for the royalty of the chosen people of God. It's putting off one nature and taking on another. It's positive. That positive identification requires a negative rejection. We can't just offhandly reject our old nature. We can't, we can't sit on top of the fence with one foot in one world and one foot in the other. Now, does that mean that we live a life without sin and, and temptations? No, no. But as we grow in sanctification and move closer and closer to God, he takes primary focus in the sin and, and everything else back here is a distraction. And when you stumble to something, you are quicker to get up because of your focus on Christ and him drawing you and creating more and more of that spirit of God in you through the Holy Spirit. It's putting off and rejecting the old self and putting on and accepting what Christ has done, that free gift that he does by giving us his imputed righteousness, that justification, just as if I had never sinned, that atonement that comes, that one-ment that comes with us and God the Father, that sin can't be in his presence, but yet we can boldly go before the throne in our prayers for others, for healing, for all those things, because of what God does, what Jesus does, standing at the right hand of the Father and the Holy Spirit that speaks within us. It's a daily choosing the Christ-like yes and putting off, rejecting the fleshly as a no, right? One phrase that uh, Mission Barbecue has on their wall, if you ever get to a Mission Barbecue, at least the one in Delaware did, and it says, choose the hard right and not the easy wrong. That's what the life of Christ is, is choosing the harder way, the hard right, not the easy cultural wrong. And we do that through the power of the Holy Spirit to implement and execute that. And we do it through the renewing of your minds, right? Verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Romans 12, 2, renewing of our minds. How do you change and renew your mind, right? Uh, how did Hitler change the culture of Germany almost overnight to where they allowed him to do whatever and anything he wanted and even the church didn't stand up against him because by standing up against him, you would have been intolerant of questioning his ways and views, which, by the way, is a scary definition of how often we look at intolerance, at least those outside the church, that if you think anything different than my way and my view, then you're being intolerant of me. Yet they can be intolerant of the church anytime they want, right? And so we've kind of grown in that if we're not careful. But how did Hitler do that? He renewed their minds. He, he started with the youth and Hitler's youth, and he began to change their thinking. But we are called as believers to learn Christ through the renewing of our mind, through studying and reading his word. By growing more and more like him through prayer, through study, through seeking to be humble, to seek humility. Now, there's an old phrase that I don't always know if I like it because it doesn't always fit when people use it. But uh, Phoebe Palmer said, fake it till you make it. <laughs> Sometimes we have to learn. Uh, one of a great professor um, said, you know, sometimes because I'm so heady and I don't think about, you know, 
like niceties. Um, people look at me and think that I'm arrogant. And he goes, so I've learned that when I'm putting out a statement to say, well, perhaps, and he goes, and it actually works. Uh, people think I'm not being arrogant, you know, I'm, I'm not, and I'm not trying to be, but they understand it a little bit more because I say, well, perhaps, or I wonder, and it allows this dialogue to begin to happen. You know, we are called for the renewing of our minds. We're the new creation. And in that new creation, there's two key characteristics. One is our righteousness, which is imputed. It's given to us by Christ. It's not my righteousness. It's his put over me, his garment that has wrapped around me, that when God looks at me and you, he sees his righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, the perfect righteousness that covers my imperfections. And then not only the righteousness, it's the holiness of truth that is the characteristic of the new creation. That righteousness is that changed relationship to Christ. It changes that relationship to Christ through forgiveness and reconciliation or justification. And holiness is changing our inward nature through that act of sanctification of growing more and more like Christ. To put off the old self and be made new and put on Christ. You know, we become not just one with Christ, but in that, that grows us to be more unified and one with each other. Because in humility, I realize that mine's not the only story. You know, as a Midwest white guy, mine's not the only story. It's not the story of my brothers and sisters from Baltimore and D.C. or from Detroit that I got to know. It's not my stories of even friends that were brought up in very impoverished areas or in abusive situations. My story is not their story. It's realizing who Christ has made me, who he has made a way, you know, 20 years in retail leadership, leading devotionals in front of people that, I mean, big name authors, uh, CEOs of organizations, um, getting to know individuals that are in, in the, the Christian music industry and big name singers you hear on the radio all the time and getting to know them, getting personal emails uh, with them. But it was who Christ made me in my story, leading me to where I am now. I don't understand why, but my story is not yours. My story is not the child who's grown up in the foster care system who just wants to be loved and fights out because they just don't, when somebody does finally love them, they just don't know how to take it. My story is not the individual of a different ethnicity who is afraid to drive down the road. Our job as believers is to seek unity in Christ and Him first and foremost so that we grow in understanding of each other. Wisdom through boldness to listen and to speak, to tell our stories, and then the compassion to not downgrade their story 
and their perception of their upbringing and their life. That's what God's called us to do as believers. And we can only do that when we put off myself, my selfishness, and I humble myself only through putting on Christ and realizing I am not enough. I am not the bee's knees. I don't have it all together. But Jesus Christ, who lives in me, is the one who unifies and understands both sides of the spectrum. He's the one who brings unity to us as believers in the church. Slave or free, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, Baptist or Protestant or Wesleyan or Nazarene, you know, you name it, right? He's the one who brings unity through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. So God, we love you. We praise you. And, and dear Heavenly Father, I, I just ask that you would be in each of our lives as we learn more and more what it means to understand that we were once ignorant and now through your Holy Spirit, we can be enlightened to true knowledge of God. That, that we once were dead in our sins and cut off from God, but now we are forgiven and raised to a new life to live and walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. That we put on a new set of behaviors to love truth, to be honest, to show concern for others who are in need, to speak without falsehood and anger or gossip, to recognize that we aren't our own. We were bought with a price and the Spirit seals us, is marked ownership that we belong to you. And that we once who were dead in our sins are no longer stuck. We are no longer bound to the old self, but we can shed that, that dominion of evil on us and accept God's control in our lives. So God, may we seek you more and more in our lives. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing unto you, O God. We love you. We praise you and we give you all the glory in the name of your son, Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great day. And uh, hopefully we'll see you all tomorrow. Take care.